Production and distribution of City Club Forums on IdeaStream are made possible by the generous support of PNC and the Raskin Family Fund, with additional funding from Robert Conrad, Cleveland State University, the Chautauqua Institution, the Cleveland Clinic, and the United Black Fund of Greater Cleveland Incorporated. everyone. Hello and welcome to the City Club of Cleveland where we are devoted to conversations of consequence that help democracy thrive. It is Wednesday, April 19th and I'm Zaria Phillips, a, a junior at Garrett Morgan School of Leadership and Innovation. I am a student ambassador and I am also currently the Secretary of State at the YMC Youth in Government Program. Welcome. <laughs> Thank you. Welcome, everyone, to East Tech High School, home of the Mighty Scarabs. This evening, it is my honor to introduce Justin Bibb, the 58th Mayor of Cleveland for the 2023 State of the City Address, presented by NPC, PNC Bank. Being here is important to me because this is a special opportunity I was rewarded with that not everyone gets. I feel that this is me being recognized for all, all the hard work and leadership hours I have put in over time. Being a CMSD student has brought me so many opportunities and shown me that they care for me and my peers. And they do whatever it is that they can to make sure we achieve our dreams. Supporting CMSD will bring organizations, more leaders, and devoted scholars to myself. The state of the city is an important annual tradition where those who live, work, play, and yes, learn in this city come together to hear from our mayor. It is time to hear what has been accomplished and about the changes and opportunities that lie ahead. Last year, Mayor Bibb delivered his first state of the city just 100 days into his first term. He was a new millennium mayor promising fresh ideas. That evening, Mayor Bibb declared we are a city on the rise. He shared his version of the city and ways he planned to modernize city government. We, now, we will now hear from Mayor Bibb in, a second, in his second address this evening. We will discuss his foundational work and progress made during his first year in office and how his administration is breaking down barriers to, prog to progress for the city and all for us. Neighbors, members, and friends of the City Club of Cleveland, it is my pleasure to introduce the Mayor of Cleveland, Justin Bibb. Thank you. Thank you so much. Thank you. Thank you. Thank you. Thank you. How about some more love for the future mayor of Cleveland, Zaria Phillips? Good evening, Cleveland. 
it is a privilege to be with you to share my second State of the City address as the 58th mayor of this amazing city. And I cannot think of a more fitting place to be than right here at East Tech High School. Especially in the historic central neighborhood. Welcome by my alpha brother, Councilman Richard Starr. Thank you, Councilman. Appreciate it so much. I also want to begin this evening by thanking Dr. Taylor and Principal Tiffany James for hosting us. Thanks for all that you do to uplift our young scholars every single day. I also want to give a special shout out to the students who share their amazing talents with us here this evening, especially my favorite choir, the Cleveland School of the Arts Choir. The baddest band in the land, Marshall Marching Band. And I think we might have the next top chef at the Executive Grill. What an amazing example of, of culinary excellence in our schools. I also believe that it is important that we as a city congratulate Eric Gordon for his leadership over CMSD for the last 11 years. <laughs> Eric, thank you for showing us every single day what empathetic, purpose-driven leadership looks like. Because of your tireless dedication and unwavering commitment, our kids have made significant and remarkable progress over the last decade. Eric helped launch the reforms of the Cleveland Plan, oversaw a dramatic increase in our high school graduation rates, passed four, four critical levies, implemented the Say Yes to Education program that I'll talk about later, but most importantly, Eric helped foster an active school city civic partnership. Eric, your legacy will live with us for generations to come. That deserves another round of applause and another standing ovation. Thank you so much, Eric. Thank you. To the City Club and Idea Stream, thank you for making tonight's event possible and for your continued commitment to curate meaningful conversations and advance new ideas in our city. Your work is essential to our democracy. Before we dive in, it is a personal privilege to recognize the hard work and leadership of our Council President, Blaine Griffin, and all the members of City Council. Let's stand and give them a round of applause if we can, too. And, and I know firsthand that it takes an act of partnership with accountability and compromise and an ongoing commitment to work together to move our city forward. 
Finally, to the nearly 8,000 city employees who come to work each and every day. That's right. Thank you for joining me on this journey to better our neighborhoods and serve our residents. I am so proud of the progress we have made over the last year, and I look forward to the hard, hard work that lies ahead. Thank you so much. Today is a time for reflection, but it is also a time for optimism. A little over a year ago, when my administration took office of our great city, we faced tremendous challenges, barriers, and fear. Fear as we began to reemerge from the peak of COVID-19. Was it okay for us to gather? Was it okay for us to conduct business in person? Was it safe to hug our grandparents? Fear because a year ago, it seemed the only story coming out of Cleveland was about violence in our streets and in our neighborhoods. Our fears were real, and for too many of us, these fears are still real. When our administration took office, we sought to usher in a new era of safety and opportunity so that every person in every corner of Cleveland could thrive and grow. But maybe more importantly, we sought, sought to simply bring our community closer together. And we know full well that change is hard. But today is also a time for optimism because together, we have made significant progress in keeping our citizens safe, creating jobs and opportunities for our residents. And together, we have shouted with one resounding voice that Cleveland is open and ready for business. Well, one thing remains clear. The future of Cleveland, neighborhoods, and our families depend on our willingness to take bold, decisive action together, and a renewed commitment from all of us to think and do things differently. My administration is not comfortable with complacency. We are moving forward, not backing down, and breaking down the barriers that for far too long have held our city and our residents back. I believe, I believe we must be a city where people feel safe and secure in their neighborhoods. I believe we can be a city where all residents have opportunities for good paying jobs and quality housing. And I believe we can be a city where environmental, racial, and economic justice can still be realized. But I am often asked if Cleveland can meet this moment. I believe we can, and I believe that together we are. So the question before us this evening is how do we, how do we meet the moment and seize the promise of an even better tomorrow? My number one, number one priority is keeping Clevelanders safe. And each day, I'm thankful for our first responders, the brave professionals, 
who show up for us in our most challenging moments and put themselves in harm's way to protect and serve this community. Tonight, we remember firefighter Johnny Trick, who we lost in the line of duty on November 19th. Firefighter Tetrick bravely and honorably served our city for more than 27 years. We remember him as a devoted and loving father, a cherished friend, and an exemplary public servant who put others first every single day. And we have some of his brothers from Engine 22 here with us tonight, as well as one of his three daughters, Fallon Tetrick. Fallon, I'm grateful that you're here with us tonight. We will never forget the ultimate sacrifice your father made to protecting and serving our city. We stand with you, and we're praying for you. Thank you. We also send well wishes to Detective Mark Aircheck, who's recovering after being shot in the line of duty last month. Detective, God bless you, and thank you so much for your service. When talking with Clevelanders, public safety is their top priority. It's mine, too. Keeping people safe is crucial for our quality of life, a key to spurring economic development throughout the city and creating secure neighborhoods in which everyone can thrive. To the leadership of Chief Wayne Drummond and the entire command staff, we have begun to lay a foundation to do just that. Recognizing the historical need to boost officer pay to attract and retain new officers, we negotiated the largest pay increase ever for our police officers, an 11% pay increase over the next three years. And, and reducing in half the time it takes to reach the highest rate of pay. We've also made internal reforms to create a more modern and progressive culture. That's gonna boost officer morale, improve retention, and create the next generation of officers. To that end, we've changed outdated policies that forbid officers from growing a beard, having tattoos, or wearing ball caps. Yet, these policies alone will not be enough, as every major police department in this country is in a fierce competition for talent. That is why we are launching an effort to streamline the service testing process, building new pipelines of talent in collaboration with CMSD and other educational institutions, and embarking on an aggressive marketing campaign to ensure we see the most talented applicants possible who are committed to improving our city's public safety. <laughs> public safety also depends on public trust. And that cannot happen if our officers are not proactively interacting with residents. To rebuild that trust, starting last spring, we instituted a new policy requiring every officer to walk the beat for at least one hour during first and second shift. Since this new policy took effect, our officers have logged more than 3,700 walk and talks with residents across all five police districts. This progress is just beginning. 
but we know that community policing cannot just be a buzzword. And, and from day one, I've been building a city that has the back of its people, and that means a city that has the back of its police. The brave men and women who help keep our city safe. This mentality must be embedded in everything we do. We can make this happen, and we are making this happen. We are now more aggressive in leveraging partnerships at the state and federal level to reduce violent crime. Through the support of the U.S. Marshals, U.S. Attorney, and the FBI, last year alone, we executed nearly a half dozen special operations that resulted in more than 100 arrests of violent offenders through targeted warrant sweeps, and we confiscated over 660 illegal guns all across our city. <laughs> to combat the danger that ATVs and dirt bikes have posed for years in our city, we have stiffened the penalties to deter joyriding, and we will continue to work with the Ohio Highway Patrol on, on targeted traffic sweeps to keep our streets safe from this reckless behavior. We, we are making progress, yet there is something critical we must acknowledge. We have a gun problem that plagues not just Cleveland, but the entire nation. Nothing, nothing breaks my heart more than the calls I've made to victims' mothers, fathers, brothers, sisters, and friends. But let me say this tonight. After too many of these calls, my resolve has never been stronger to keeping our families safe. The pain of losing a family member or a close friend to gun, gun violence never truly goes away. The pain and sense of trauma hurts you to the core. Yes, we made progress last year, realizing a 10% reduction in related homicides, and we're doing everything in our power to continue to make progress until our city is safe for everyone. In addition to advocating for more common sense gun reform at every level of government, we are focusing on a data-driven policing approach by stepping up our use of technology and intelligence to reduce gun homicides in our city. One example is the Crime Gun Intelligence Center, a partnership of Cleveland Police, the ATF, and the County Prosecutor's Crime Strategies Unit. This center uses data from guns and fired bullets from crime scenes to gather evidence and intelligence to help police better spot trends and identify repeat offenders most likely to commit violent gun crimes in our city. When the center was created two years ago, our turnaround time for collecting and sharing data was averaging 60 days plus. Now, excluding backlog cases, to today we are at five days. In March of last year, the center initiated a large-scale investigation into what was believed to be a series of gang-related shootings that took place 
over a 10-hour period. Utilizing Nibin, these incidents were linked and the crimes were solved, yielding a 67-count indictment involving multiple defendants. As the investigation continues, this case is one of the largest firearms trafficking cases prosecuted at the state level in Ohio. This is the future of smart, precision policing, leveraging partnerships and technology to solve crimes, identify repeat offenders, zero in on crime hotspots, and get illegal guns off our streets. And in fact, since March 2021, the Crime Gun Intelligence Center has recovered 163 firearms, many of which have provided valuable ballistics intelligence to the city, county, and ATF. And with the passage of this year's budget, a civilian crime intelligence analyst will be added across all five of our police districts to build capacity and support officers with the tools they need to fight crime in our neighborhoods. However, law enforcement is only one piece of the equation. To become a safer city, we must invest in violence prevention and reduction and address the root cause of violence. On Monday, on Monday, we introduced legislation along with city council to create one of the nation's first ever neighborhood safety endowment funds using dollars from the American Rescue Plan, a $10 million investment that will generate an additional $13 million in grant money over the next 25 years to fund proven interventions to reduce crimes on our streets. We have made major investments to double our responder model teams and we are, we are designing a groundbreaking care response model to help bring mental health professionals and police together to reduce the city's reliance on police for emergency calls and get individuals in crisis the tr treatment and care they need. We are also collaborating closely with CMSD and RTA on safe places, safe routes to school, and better coordination of bus routes with school arrival and dismissal times. In addition, in the coming weeks, my, my administration will be on the phones and out in the neighborhoods, knocking on doors, talking with families, and making sure that we are engaging our young people in safe and productive activities this summer. Significant investments to attract and retain police officers, more partnerships at the federal and state level, new technologies and intelligence gathering, prioritizing violence prevention with youth programs, mental health services, and targeted interventions, and deepening our capacity to use alternative forms of police response. This is how we transform public safety for the 21st century. This transformation also requires a continued commitment to delivering on the promise of police reform. Helping us get there is Cleveland's new 13-member 
Community Police Commission, established by the passage of Issue 24. Thank you to the commissioners. Some of you are here with us this evening for the work you are doing. There is no roadmap, no roadmap at all for getting this commission up and running. And I appreciate the time you're taking to set the commission up for success. The CPC is one of the most powerful civilian oversight entities in the country, and their work is critical to the accountability that we need, both to keep our city safe and to hold ourselves to the standards of quality, bias-free, and constitutional policing. We continue to build on the progress we have made in meeting the requirements of the consent decree, and we are seeing it in the numbers. Between 2018 and 2022, use of force incidents declined by 37%. And, and there were zero, zero uses of deadly force in our department in 2022. This shows that the consent decree is working, but we have more work to do to be fully compliant. That's why I've hired Dr. Lee Anderson to lead the city's first ever police accountability team. An expert on consent decrees with deep experience from Ferguson to Chicago, Dr. Anderson's team will ensure that our improvements become permanent parts of our police culture of service, safety, and accountability. But the solution to eradicate the continuous flow of guns into our city is quite clear. Leaders in Washington and in the state legislature must give mayors more tools and enforcement powers to keep guns off our streets. We're doing everything in our power. Cleveland is doing its part. Now it's time for Columbus and Washington, D.C., especially Republicans in Columbus and Washington, D.C., we need to do your job. Making our streets safer also requires a commitment to revitalizing our economy in every neighborhood so that every resident can succeed. Everyone, I mean everyone, deserves a chance to have a good job that, that not only pays the bills and puts food on the table, allows Clevelanders to save and create wealth buy a house, send their kids to college, and create opportunities for not just this generation, but for generations to come. Simply put, this is about dignity. This is about giving our residents hope for a better future, a future they can bank on. Yet, for far too long, there have been structural barriers preventing us from achieving this reality. The biggest challenge is that we don't have enough development sites primed and ready to go to create good paying jobs in our neighborhoods. Now, this has led to a, a clear set of sobering facts. Over the last two decades, more than 25% of the jobs in virtually every part of the city have been lost, 25%. During that same period, our population declined by 22%. Even more striking is the notion that over the last 15 years, 
while the United States experienced an 11% growth in traded sector jobs, Cleveland experienced a 5% decline. This moment in time, however, gives Cleveland an opportunity to confront this challenge. We have a chance to attract good jobs so that hardworking residents and their children don't have to move away and search for opportunity. We want them to find it right here, right now, at home. That's why I'm proud of the legislation we introduced with City Council on Monday to create a $50 million site readiness fund. This fund, for we are seeking to raise an additional $50 million of public and private sector capital, has the potential to create approximately 25,000 good jobs in our neighborhoods and yielding an additional 4,000 indirect jobs. This catalytic investment has the potential to reactivate 1,000 acres of currently underused land, helping reduce light and enhance the city's economic competitiveness. And with the support With the support of Cuyahoga County and the state of Ohio, we, we can reverse decades of decline and show the nation that Cleveland is ready and open for business. In addition to this bold initiative, we are also reinvigorating our job incentive tax credit program to provide an incentive for new companies to locate right here in Cleveland, Ohio. This is another tool to grow our economy in a more inclusive and equitable way. But perhaps one of the biggest long-term economic development plays for Cleveland, for our region, and for the city is harnessing the potential of our great waterways, Lake Erie and the Cuyahoga River. From Euclid Beach to the downtown lakefront to Irishtown Bend, our waterfronts have been underutilized for far too long. And it's past time we leverage their potential. Right now, we have the ability to, to unleash billions of dollars of private investment and make our waterways even more accessible to everyone, which will help improve the quality of life for all Clevelanders. This will unlock growth, business development, tourism, and innovation for the city and the region, and give people yet another reason to stay, stay in Cleveland as well as make it their home. All of us, the city, the county, the business community, and, and key stakeholders are working together to, to seize this moment. From new legislation to create a waterfront development authority, to an initial $20 million investment to jumpstart infrastructure improvements along the lakefront and riverfront, we are building toward the transformation and redevelopment of our waterways. Unlocking the potential of Lake Erie and the Cuyahoga River is critical for the future of Cleveland, the region, and the entire state. Creating neighborhoods of choice where we put people first is essential to achieve our long-term economic goals as a city. And in nowhere, is this more apparent than in Cleveland's southeast side?
The Southeast side has a storied legacy that represents the best of this city. It is hardworking, it is resilient, it's entrepreneurial. It's the place where the American dream within reach for my late grandma, Sarah, who came up north from the segregated South during the Great Migration. But unfortunately, that dream has been deferred because of a lack of investment, redlining, and systemic structural racism. It is my fundamental belief that we will not see a thriving Cleveland until all corners of our city experience a true economic recovery. Our, our administration is embarking on a holistic approach to jumpstart the economic recovery of neighborhoods like Lee Harvard, Mount Pleasant, and Union Miles. Through through a targeted set of investments and interventions, to date, we have assembled a coalition of more than 40 leaders from the public, private, and nonprofit sectors, all focused on helping the city lift up the southeast side. We will see this work with the $15 million ARPA investment focused on revitalizing commercial corridors, repairing nearly 200 homes, and spurring redevelopment with new incentives. And we will be ambitious about bringing more parts and more financial investment into this effort, such as our new partnership with Goldman Sachs. The firm has agreed to bring their 10,000 small business initiative to these targeted neighborhoods to help create the next generation of black businesses in our community. I believe, I believe this must be the way we approach economic development, focus, deliberate execution at the hyper-local level. Not only do we have to change how we think about direct economic interventions in our neighborhoods, but we as a city must also be more aggressive when it comes to housing and code enforcement. Through the leadership of our building and housing department, we are fundamentally changing how we enhance the quality of our housing stock. This week, we, we will complete a comprehensive survey of over 170,000 properties all across the city. This survey, done in partnership with the Western Reserve Land Conservancy, is providing important data that will assist in identifying and prioritizing properties for rehabilitation, lead abatement, code violations, demolition, and other pressing needs. We are also moving forward with legislation later this year to use the full weight of the law to go after predatory property managers and, and reckless out-of-state investors who have no regard for their people who live in their properties. Tenants in our city should not have to live with leaking pipes, dangerous mold, 
constant water damage, elevators that don't work, and the worst of all, no heat for months on end during a frigid Cleveland winter. These slumlords should be ashamed of themselves for robbing our residents of the dignity and the decency of a, of a safe place to call home. Now, make no mistake about it. We will hold you accountable, and we will find you. We will find you. And I want to just applaud the efforts of Councilwoman Deborah Gray and Council President Griffin and the Moreland Group to keep this issue at the forefront. Thank you so much. These new laws will enhance our rental registration process to drive more accountability, create additional funding mechanisms to abate nuisance properties, and will stiffen civil penalties for various nuisance violations. And just earlier today, we began filing affidavits of lead hazard control or orders that will be based on property records with the county recorder's office. These affidavits of fact ensure that for the first time in our city's history, properties under a lead hazard control order cannot be sold without the explicit knowledge that they are uninhabitable until the lead is properly abated. We believe this will go a long way to keep families safe and stop property owners from making quick fixes that exacerbate our lead problem and poison our babies. Beyond a laser focus on economic development and housing, we also need to ensure that our city is better connected by addressing the transit and mobility needs of our, our residents. This is key. This is key to our vision of putting people in neighborhoods first. Last year, we worked with Councilman Kerry McCormick to pass our complete Green Streets Ordinance, hired the city's first, first ever senior strategist for mobility, Callie Mersman, and implemented initiatives like Vision Zero, Safe Routes to School, and our Speed Table Pilot Program to help make our streets safer. We hear the calls to slow down reckless drivers, like the one who killed five-year-old Apolina Asumani last April on West 50th Street. And we are responding by ramping up our traffic calming program, focused on the hotspots where we know speeding and dangerous driving are major, major issues. In partnership with RTA and CSU, Cleveland was one of 59 projects around the country awarded a nearly $2 million SMART grant from the U.S. Department of Transportation. As a result, we will pilot SMART, smart signals that prioritize transit, bicycle, pedestrian, and emergency vehicles. This award opens up the door for millions of dollars of additional federal funding to scale up this work. Together, I know we can build a Cleveland where our streets are safe and mobility means freedom for everyone. That's why I'm so, so excited about the work city planning is leading.
to prioritizing and incentivizing real estate development along our transit corridors and in areas where residents without a car can access all they need, their job, their school, a grocery store, a doctor, all within a 15-minute walk. This vision also speaks to our ambitions to be a leader when it comes to achieving our sustainability and climate justice goals. Since taking office, working with Councilman Casey, we implemented and sought to expand our low to moderate income solar program to help reduce energy costs for residents. And through funding from the Ohio EPA, we're also increasing our public electric vehicle charging stations in the neighborhoods. And through the leadership of our Office of Sustainability and Climate Justice, we are looking to reduce carbon emissions in our city, building by building, block by block. We are truly, truly committed to creating a more sustainable Cleveland. And just last week, uh, the city joined the National Bet Climate Challenge from which the Department of Energy commits us to, de to decreasing emissions from our own operations at City Hall by 50% over the next 10 years. However, none of this, none of this transformational work can happen if City Hall can function in a, in a more modern and responsive way. This is a barrier we must continuously work to address to make Cleveland a city that works. And while there is much to be done, we have begun to lay the foundation for a modern and responsive City Hall that Clevelanders deserve. When I entered office last January, our city was facing a $61 million deficit. And in just one year, we closed that $61 million deficit without relying on one-time money for the rainy day fund, creating the first structurally balanced budget the city has seen since 2020. We we brought recycling back to Cleveland in 2022 with, with more than 60,000 households enrolled in the program and now a contamination rate of just 15%. And we are hard at work as well to help overhaul the City of Cleveland website and we have invested $4 million in ARPA dollars to fund technology upgrades for 311 the city's non-emergency citizen support center, which will soon feature more, more ways to get in touch and new tracking features to monitor the status of our residents' requests. And earlier this month, the United Way began servicing 311 outside normal business hours to ensure that residents receive outstanding customer service 24 hours a day, seven days a week. Now, our work to modernize operations does not stop at City Hall. It also extends to our workforce. A few weeks ago, Ms. Tajane Buchanan completed the Cleveland Public Power Line Worker Program, becoming the first woman and the first African-American female to earn this status in Cleveland's history.
when, when we met to celebrate her accomplishments, I told her this, you can be the first, but you can't be the last. Can't be the last. And I can't wait to watch her continue to break barriers and mentor a new generation of women in her field. The work also extends into the community through investing in Cleveland's iconic Westside Market, reimagining and reinvigorating Highland Golf Course, and numerous other efforts to put city assets to work for us. With hard work and creative thinking, we are finally finding new ways to generate revenue from city-owned properties, from parking lots to municipal buildings. And speaking of parking, this summer, we will begin implementing smart parking all across the city. A seamless, integrated network of easy-to-use smart meters that accept a variety of payments will replace mechanical meters and make parking England easy and convenient. Say goodbye to the quarters, dimes, and nickels. Now, we did all this while cleaning up more than 30,000 illegal dumping sites, sweeping over 800 miles of roadway, filling potholes with over 2,300 tons of material, and filling more than 64,000 service requests across all 17 wards. Our beautiful city, our beautiful city is a collection of diverse and unique neighborhoods. And it is at the neighborhood level where we can, we can really impact the lived experiences of our residents and invest in our shared but our shared future is impossible without our young people, our students. And it is so important that we as a city center the hard work we are embarking on to truly meet the moment and the voices and the lived experiences of our young people, the next generation of Clevelanders. We are getting closer to announcing the next CEO of CMSD and we are working to get our students back on track and fight the learning loss that so many experienced throughout the COVID-19 pandemic. We know that literacy suffered during the pandemic. And one way we are working on that is through the Cleveland Read Citywide Reading Campaign. In partnership with, I see you Felton. In partnership with the Cleveland Public Library, CMSD, and the Cleveland Teachers Union, and Kids Book Bank. To date, more than 14,700 readers read more than 134,000 books and logged nearly 3 million minutes of reading as part of this incredible effort. In addition to the impact on education, COVID also took a huge toll on the mental health of our children and our teens. According to the research, depression and anxiety in youth has more than doubled since the start of the pandemic. And this is something we do not take lightly. That's why two weeks ago, it was an honor to invite 
U.S. Surgeon General, Dr. Vivek Murthy to City Hall to discuss these significant increases, elevate youth and community voices, and bring national attention to the work Cleveland is doing to combat the youth mental health crisis. And I will never forget what one student told me from John Hay Science Academy during our roundtable conversation. During the pandemic, this student was able to focus and manage the coursework, all while in a virtual environment. But when the pandemic subsided and in-person school resumed, something did not feel right mentally or emotionally for This student said this, and I quote, I felt as if the world was moving, but I wasn't. I felt as if the world was moving, but I wasn't. Think about that for a second. So many young people across our city are experiencing this. They're emotionally drained and traumatized from so much. And so we must ensure that we are meeting our young people where they are with the support they need. To that end, we are coordinating with the county and the state on short-term gap funding to preserve CS Education's Family Support Specialists. We, we work with Governor DeWine and the state to secure $1.5 million in TANF dollars, and the county executive, Chris Ronane, is seeking $600,000 for the program. These professionals are embedded in each Cleveland school and provide critical wraparound services and support students and their families so that our scholars can just focus on learning and being students. In addition to our partnership with Say Yes, we also, as a city, committed nearly $4 million to the Integrated Health Initiative as part of our strategy for youth mental health in CMSD. In so many ways, the work we do now is all about these students, our next generation of Clevelanders. I think about them often because I know firsthand that education has the power to change the trajectory of their lives. I think about whether we will do, will do enough in this moment to give them that hope, that prom promise, that this can be a city where they see themselves thriving. But I believe together we can. We can. Today, we are a city on the rise, and we will continue to rise if we move forward together. We are not witnesses, but active participants. I have seen what we can achieve when we commit to a shared vision, roll up our sleeves, and get to work. We are ready for real change, and together, we can do hard things. Tonight, we are coming together as one Cleveland in the central neighborhood, at the very heart of our city. We are breaking down barriers and standing on the shoulders of giants. This is one of our city's oldest neighborhoods. <laughs> it is a storied neighborhood, the neighborhood of Carl and Louis Stokes. 
the neighborhood, the neighborhood where Langston Hughes began to write about the American dream. A neighborhood with a legacy of barriers eradicated. But let me tell you this. We all have a role to play, and each and every one of you tonight is central to achieving the promise of what Cleveland can be. People are counting on us to get this right and to meet this moment, both today and for future generations. Ten-year-old Ryan Sewell is counting on us. Ryan, Ryan stand up. I, I met Ryan and his father, Coach Harold, when we were honoring them for their work during our Black History Month celebrations at City Hall. And this dynamic father-son duo founded the Little Hands Inner City Basketball, a program that teaches young children the basic skills of the game. A brain cancer survivor who underwent three surgeries, all while in the fifth grade. Ryan's determination to be a, be a leader and give back to others has only grown stronger. When he's having a bad day or feeling frustrated, he thinks about the kids who look up to him, and it keeps him motivated. Ryan, young people like you are our future, and you deserve a city where you can thrive and Prosper. We're rooting for you. We're rooting for you. <laughs> Miss Wanda Finley who's also here with us this evening, is counting on us. Ms. Wanda, where are you at? Please stand up if you can. At 76, Ms. Finley is an active community advocate, utilizing public transit to attend meetings and events related to the causes she cares for. Her concerns include safety, economic security, the environment, affordable and stable housing, and accessible transportation for seniors. These are concerns that I absolutely share, and we owe it to Ms. Finley and so many others to get this moment right now. Thank you, Ms. Finley. The future, the future of our great city and our residents depends on us. Cleveland, this is our time to not only meet, but to exceed this moment. And working together, I know, I know we can get it done. Thanks to all of you, the state of our city is growing stronger each and every day. May God bless you all, may God bless our great nation, and may God bless the great city of Cleveland, Ohio. Thank you so much. I appreciate it. Thank you. Thank you. Thank you. Thank you, Mayor Bibb. 
We're about to begin the audience Q&A. Kristen Baird Adams, President of the City Club Board of Directors. As discussed before the program began, the City Club invited the community to submit questions in advance. And those, those questions were selected, uh, have joined us here at, East, at the East Technical High School this evening. The questions were selected by the City Club staff with intention of capturing a cross-section of our, our city and the interests of our residents and stakeholders. It's important to note that the mayor has not seen these questions in advance. Mayor Bibb, let's start with, with our first question. Good evening, my name is Rebecca Sharp from Ohio City. And my question is, how do you plan to be present or how have you been present and supportive during the search for the new, the new CEO of CMSD and what plans do you have to expand the partnerships and collaboration between the city and its school district? Thank you so much for the question. Um, as one of the only mayors uh, in the state of Ohio and across the country, I take the leadership and management of CMSD uh, as a special moral obligation. And in this process for searching for a new CEO, uh, myself as, long, as well as our chief of education Holly Trefiro, we've been working very closely with the CMSD school board uh, to find a good, a good candidate that understands the importance of closing these learning gaps, that understands the importance of making sure we address the learning loss we've seen out of COVID-19, but also uh, a CEO that can build on the legacy of Eric Gordon and truly double down on the Cleveland plan that we've seen real, real success around all across the district. So I've been very, very, very involved in the process. Hi, Mayor Bibb. My name is Elaine Schleifer. My pronouns are she, her, and I'm a queer community organizer living on the west side of Cleveland. I was excited to see that there's $5 million in ARPA funding going to the expansion of our co-responder pilot, where mental health clinicians respond alongside police to a limited number of mental health crisis calls that come into 911. A complete continuum of crisis services for Cleveland would also include care response where those clinicians respond to mental health crisis calls without a police presence. Many of our peer cities, including Baltimore, New Orleans, Cincinnati, and Columbus, have invent invested in care response and are already seeing improved public health and public safety outcomes. So my question is, how will you make sure that individuals in Cleveland and in, in behavioral health crisis receive a healthcare-based response for a healthcare-based crisis? Thank you. We, we share your uh, commitment and passion to invest in alternative forms of police response. Uh, over the next couple of weeks, we'll be announcing our first senior strategist working, working out of public health to help design what this care response will look like in Cleveland. And this is important for so many reasons because I've seen it firsthand um, when members of my family who are suffering mental health illness their first call was a 911. And unfortunately, sometimes that doesn't need to be the first call. And we've seen as well that a public health informed response to safety can work. It can work. And so we're committed to getting this done and we look forward to working to see this project into, into fruition. So thanks for the question. Uh, good evening, Mayor. Uh, my name is Kenyon Farrow, and I am the uh, president of the LGBT Center of Greater Cleveland. So I talked to so many young LGBT people in Cleveland who want to leave because they don't feel safe 
they think they'll be better off in Columbus and Atlanta or Orlando or DC or other places. So I'd like to know what the city can do to make LGBT folks, particularly young people, safer, more recognized and acknowledged and welcomed as a part of the present and future of the city. Yeah. Well, thank you so much for that question. Um, I would say a couple of things. First and foremost, we as a city must do whatever we can to partner and invest in more safe spaces for the LGBT community in our city. Um, and there's a lot of disparity right now where where those places exist. And it's a core priority of our administration to find those partners and, and work to scale to ensure that those uh, safe, pace, uh, safe places are in our city. But also say, when, when we see uh, victimization occur and, and bigotry occur, we as a city must speak out against that bigotry and stand up against it. And so making sure that the full weight of our government at City Hall is fighting for this is also a big part of the solution long term as well too. Good afternoon, Mr. Mayor. My name is Hennessy Gonzalez. I'm a Cleveland resident um, from the Bel Air Periodist neighborhood and the program coordinator for the Young Latino Network. With recent signing of Ohio's House Bill 4458 into law, which limits voters' availability to use alternative forms of IDs such as utility bills, Cleveland residents may face even greater barriers to the ballot box. As a city that plays a crucial role in Ohio's electorate and national elections, what specific actions do you plan to take to ensure equitable access to voting for all Cleveland residents, particular, particularly those in historically marginalized communities who may be disproportionately affected by these changes in voting laws and face other barriers to the ballot box? Additionally, how is administration investing in and supporting local organizations that are working to build an equitable democracy and ensure that every voice is heard in our city's electorate process. Thank you. Well, the first thing I've, I've done and will continue to do is hold lawmakers in Columbus who pass ra racist, dangerous voting laws in our state legislature accountable to the best of my ability and using my voice as mayor to do just that. But the other thing we must do and I believe this in, in my heart. As elected officials, we can't stop talking to residents and knocking on doors when the election stops. It's got to continue when you're in office. And we've continued to do that since I took office last year. I would also say our commitment as an administration to uh, allocate $5 million to pilot predatory budgeting in Cleveland is a testament to our administration's commitment to advancing democracy. So it's novel initiatives like that that I believe are so important to enhancing our uh, democracy efforts in Cleveland and getting more people involved in government. That's the key. Hello, my name is Adam Royko, and I am a student at Cleveland State University within the Levin College of Public Affairs and Education. College has, over the past decades, become increasingly unaffordable for most families. On top of that, most students are entering college not knowing what they want to do for their future. My question for you is, what is the city doing to make sure that high school students in Cleveland are as prepared as they can be to not only succeed in college, but in their careers? Thank you. 
Well, I think Cleveland is very unique because we have a, a wealth of programs and initiatives that have created strong pipelines and pathways for our students to get exposure to college, uh, like CS education, but also the work we're doing with the PACE program to expose young people to what careers they can get uh, earlier on, not just in high school, but also in middle school as well, too. We have uh, great higher ed institutions, not just CSU, but CASE, but also Tri-C uh, as well. And one thing that, that I've done since taking office is that I meet with every president of every major higher ed institution on a quarterly basis to make sure we're collaborating uh, to build those pipelines to give people a pathway. So you may want to go to college, great. We want to make sure you're supported. You may want to have a trade, fantastic. How do we get you involved in the trades as well too? So it's going to take an all-hands-on approach to do that, and our investments have laid the foundation to do just that. Good evening. My name is Yvette Hunt, and I'm a resident, street captain, and Buckeye ambassador from the Buckeye Woodhill neighborhood in Ward 4. What are, what are your impressions? and insights regarding the Woodhill Station West mixed income development and how it has impacted the current residents residing mm. on Wombling, Steinway, and the surrounding areas. Are you aware of the concerns of the current residents living nearby? I invite you to visit the area and talk with residents. Thank you. Well, I would say this. Number one, um, uh, that development project uh, can be catalytic long-term for the Buckeye area, but we must make sure that we do things in an equitable, inclusive way. Now, I've talked to many residents who are gonna be potentially moving out of their existing homes because of development, and their concern is making sure that their transition is supported uh, in an effective way. So we will make sure we continue conversations with CMHA and other key stakeholders that are involved in that effort, and we will do everything we can as a city to support those residents and those that are affected by the, that development to ensure that that displacement doesn't occur to mitigate that risk long term. Good evening, Mayor Bibb. My name is Marie Toledo. I'm a member of the Jemez Pueblo tribe from New Mexico, and I'm a lifelong Cleveland uh, Native American act activist here in the city of Cleveland. Uh, today, Native Americans face some of the highest disparities, especially in health, but we are largely invisible due to lack of data and initiatives targeting urban Native communities. In fact, there have been elders in our community who have had to return to the reservation for affordable medical care, despite the fact that we have in our backyard some of the best health systems in the world. When activating the eye in BIPOC, Presentation. Can the city of Cleveland initiate a new partnership with the Federal Indian Health Service for a clinic serving the indigenous community here in Cleveland? Thank you. Yeah. Yeah. Thank you so much for your activism and for bringing this attention to our concern. And I would gladly love to work with you and your community to make sure we can address this issue through a collaboration. So let us know. Email me at mayorbib at clevelandohio.gov and we'll get right on it. Okay. Good evening, Mayor. Good to hey, see you. Hey, how you doing? Good to see you as well. 
Uh, my name is Sarah Contenenza, executive director and founder of Food Strong. We currently serve 13 CMSD schools with our school garden, entrepreneurship, nutrition, and culinary arts programs. And thank you. I'm short. And also seven uh, current locations with our vacant lot restoration initiative which is a partnership with the county. And um, I recently learned about your 15-minute smart city initiative. So that's great to learn about that enhanced access. And I guess my question will be, where are we in, that pro uh, in the process of that project? And even more specifically, how is fresh food cultivation yeah. and access incorporated into that ultimate, all that plan? Thanks. Thank you. Thank you. We, we've made uh, really solid progress over the last year uh, through the work of our uh, planning department, we have done an analysis to identify where those 15-minute city neighborhoods exist in the city. And now we're in the stage of identifying how do we change our zoning code and how do we do an asset map analysis of all the assets we have in our neighborhoods from grocery stores to rec centers to access to public transit uh, to ensure that this becomes the new framework of where we make investments and how we make investments. Uh, to your second point around food access and food ju justice, or what Ms. Marilyn Burns would say, food apartheid that exists in Cleveland. Um, we are going to be hiring a new uh, local food policy coordinator under the leadership of my public health, Dr. David Margolius, to really think about city-level policies to address food deserts uh, in, our, in our community. So it's on our list. We're making good progress, but we have a long way to go. But thanks for the question, Sarah. I appreciate it. So, I'm Eric Bibb. Uh, my name's David Beach. Uh, I live in the Shaker Square neighborhood in Ward 4. Uh, it's been reported that, that the Browns want a new stadium, <laughs> either a major rebuilding. I never heard that before. Yeah, um, <laughs> either a major rebuilding of the existing Brown Stadium or a new dome stadium. So what would you like to see happen regarding a football stadium in Cleveland? And how much city funding, if any, are you willing to contribute to a stadium deal? Yeah. Thank you, David, uh, for the question. Look, um, my vision right now is making sure we finally, uh, over the last 100 years, finally see real inclusive development on the lakefront. And um, while we begin early conversations with the Hazens about uh, the stadium, for me, it's simple. Number one, uh, we want to be creative with how we address this issue because I'm no longer going to risk general revenue fund dollars for maintenance of a privately owned football franchise. So we got to be creative. We got to think differently about financing, uh, but I think it's important that we think differently about how this fits into a larger piece of making us have one of the best lakefronts in the world, and that's my vision to get done as mayor. On behalf of the City Club of Cleveland staff and board, thank you to Mayor Bibb, and thanks to all who have joined us in person here at the East Technical High School and via our live stream this evening. You all are the heart of the City Club and what inspires us every day to uphold our unwavering commitment to convening conversations of consequence that help democracy thrive. We'd also like to thank our presenting sponsor, my colleagues at PNC Bank, 
and our partners at 89.7 IdeaStream Public Media and WOVU. There are many other sponsors and community partners listed in the program whose support helped ensure tonight's event was free and accessible to all, with hundreds of residents and organizations from across all of Cleveland's neighborhoods joining us here this evening. In addition to Mayor Bibb, We'd also, to like to, we'd also like to thank Zaria Phillips for her terrific introduction. <laughs> and we'd also, we'd also like to thank <laughs> Mayor Bibb's staff and all of our terrific partners at Cleveland City Hall. Finally, as always, there are a number of wonderful programs coming up at the City Club of Cleveland. And you can learn about all of them and also watch a replay of tonight's broadcast as well as other earlier forums at cityclub.org. Thanks once again for joining us this evening. I'm Kristen Beard-Adams, and this forum is now adjourned. Thank you. For information on upcoming speakers or for podcasts of the City Club, go to cityclub.org. Production and distribution of City Club forums on IdeaStream Public Media are made possible by PNC and the United Black Fund of Greater Cleveland Incorporated.